Hello and welcome to Living Word Ministries where everyone is a winner. Join us as we rightly divide the word of truth. It's in our DNA. That's how God Almighty designed us. That's how he created us. And that's why we love to celebrate success. How many of you like soccer? You like football? Let me see your hands up. Okay. How many of you watched yesterday's match? You did? How many of you, your team won? Anybody, your team won? Okay. We love success. One of the, you know, 90 minutes is a very long time for me to watch anything, <laughs> to watch soccer. So sometimes I like to catch the last bit of it. 10 minutes was the end of the game. If it's basketball, 10 minutes was the end of the game. But one of the things you would discover is that at the end of most games, the stadium is shouting and screaming. And a part of the stadium, there are tears coming down their faces. And you can tell. You can tell the winning side. You can tell the team that has won the match based on how the stadium reacts. When you look at the supporters, you can tell. You don't have to check the scores. There is just something about us that likes to win. Because our Heavenly Father created us like himself. So we started on Friday looking at attributes, looking at things that we need to have to have a successful life. And one of the things the Lord said to us on Friday that I just want to reemphasize before we continue this morning is that it's not too late for you. There are times that we hear a message and we say to ourselves, oh, I wish I had that 20 years ago. I wish I was 25 years old. This message would have been excellent for me. I wish I was 30 years old. But if you're here today, I want to tell you that it's not late for you to have a successful life. The dreams and the things that God has put inside of you, God still wants to make them to come to pass. There is a guy many years ago that got saved on his deathbed. The doctors had given up on him that you were going to die. Just get ready. Get all your family members. Get them together. You're going to die. You're not going to make it. And so he had a preacher come into the hospital to speak to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he got saved. And he began to cry. <laughs> he began to cry. Seriously. Because he was thinking, God, is, am I going to come to you empty-handed without doing anything on earth for you? And he was the one that penned that song, Must I Meet My Savior Empty-Handed? And as the Lord gave him that song, the Lord healed him also and gave him many years to live a successful life. So I'm saying as a servant of the living God that if you're here this morning, the Lord will extend your years to fulfill the plan of God that he has for you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You are not going to die defeated. Amen. You are not going to die frustrated. Amen. 
in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. The plan of God is that every one of us will exit this world successfully. That's the plan of God. That when you are exiting this world, you have left a legacy of success. That when people talk about you, they can say, wow. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And that will be your story in the mighty name of Jesus. Your life will be a success that many years after you're gone, people will still be reaping from the works that you have done. You know, how many years has Jesus been gone now to heaven? Over 2,000 years. And guess what? Even our calendar, our calendar that we use every day, we say, well, today is uh, May 29th. 2016. That calendar is designed in reference to when Jesus Christ died and rose again. So our day, every single day, is controlled by his life. So for people that don't believe in Jesus, just tell them, why don't you change your calendar? Why don't you go look for another calendar? Because the calendar you are using is referring to a man that you don't believe in. So how can you be using a calendar how can you be urging your life every day by a man that you don't believe in? So we're grateful to God. So for you to have a successful life, we began, our, and I will just do a little bit of a recap, and then we'll finish up, and then we'll pray. Is that number one, you need to believe in yourself. You need to believe in yourself. Can you tell your neighbor, believe, believe. in yourself? There are a lot of people that are living in this world that don't believe in themselves. They are looking for other people to believe in them. When they wake up in the morning and they go out, they need somebody to tell them you're looking good. They need somebody to appreciate them. They need their boss or their friends or sometimes their enemies to say something. So in other words, when they look at themselves in the mirror, they don't have a good perspective of themselves. They need their wives. They need their husbands. You know, I used to wonder, and, you know, uh, husbands that are here, maybe you'll be able to help me with this. But I used to wonder why sometimes females, even wives, you know, they still need us to continually tell them how good they look when they dress up. And sometimes, you know, I forget, and in the evening I say to my wife, oh, that cloth is fine. And she says to me, did you see me in the morning? Praise the Lord. I said, yeah, I saw you in the morning. In other words, why didn't you tell me in the morning? The first thing you need to understand is that God designed you. God is the one that put you together. He's the one that decided your family. He's the one that decided your parents. He's the one that decided your siblings. He's the one that decided that you are going to come the time and the date that you came. It has a purpose. It has an agenda for you. If you are going to be successful, you need to appreciate that. You need to embrace that. I said yesterday that it's important for you to be able to acknowledge all the things that God has given to you. I told you of some people that try to forget the landmarks. They try to forget where they come from. They try to forget every single thing that has to do with their heritage. And I tell you, I told you yesterday that what generally happens to people like that is that they cannot maximize their potential. They cannot. 
And I gave an example of a competition that is held in the U.S. every year called the Spelling Bee. And the Spelling Bee has, I mean, a lot of those kids, can, they can spell words in the dictionary, English dictionary. Not only can they spell it, they can tell you the meaning. They can tell you the root word of those things. You're talking about children. Um, um, you're talking about kids from age 6 to 13. And for the last eight years, the winners of this competition have been Indian Americans. Indian Americans. These kids were born in America, but why are they referred to as Indian Americans? Because their parents are Indians. Because they have an Indian heritage. And guess what? They do not lose those, the heritage that they have. And that has become an advantage for them. Psalm 139. Let's open our Bibles. Psalm 139. Thank you, Lord. Psalm 139. Are we all there? I can't. I, Maybe everyone has the, the the electronics one because I can't see I can't hear the flippings of the pages, but that's the generation that we have now. Verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. Psalm one thirty nine. Verse thirteen. The Bible says, "For you formed my inner path. You formed my inner path. Who did? God. This is very important because people will tell you you are not tall enough." You are not slim enough. You are not m muscular enough. You are not, no, nobody says you are not short enough. Uh, you know. But you realize, <laughs> and nobody says you are not fat enough. <laughs> nobody, do people say that? They do, actually. Yeah. If you play the American football and you're a linebacker, you have to be fat enough. Uh, yeah. But that's a real occasion. But you see, the Bible says that who formed you? God Almighty did. God Almighty did. One of the things I say to my wife, and I say to, and I say that to my daughter also. I say to them every morning, I said, you look beautiful. Even without the makeup, you look beautiful. You must say that to yourself. Well, as a father, I'm saying that to my daughter. You know why? Because there are, you live in a world system that try to sell you beauty. They try to sell you beauty in the way you walk. Beauty in the way, you know, in the, in, the, in the shoe that you wear, the cloth that you wear. So you realize that this world really wants to sell you success. Whereas God Almighty already said to you when he formed you that he formed you successful. So he is the one that created you. He is the one that puts you together. And you have no reason to apologize to anybody for the rest of your life, for who you are. You are an original. Nobody has ever existed that looks like you. Nobody would ever exist that looks like you. And one of the jobs that the devil has is to convince all of us that you are not good enough. Is to convince all of us that you need to do something about yourself. To convince all of us that the way you talk is not good enough. I remember many years ago where there was, <laughs> someone told me this very interesting story of a guy. The guy, obviously, is from Africa, is from Nigeria, because his mark on his face showed that that was where he's from. He had the tribal marks. But he's British. 
you know, for one reason or the other, it's British. So someone asked him one day, where are you from, sir? He said, I'm British. The man said, okay, I, I understand that you have a British passport and you live in England, but where are you really from? And the guy said, I said to you, I'm British. <laughs> he said, yeah, I know. He said, but this mark that you have, these lines that you have, shows that you are from somewhere, and I just want to identify with you. And then the guy got really mad. He got really upset. What, what's your problem? I said, I'm British. Don't you understand? Do you have a problem with your hearing? He got so upset because he did not want to identify with his original place of birth. So one of the things, if you are going to be successful, is that you need to learn to appreciate yourself. You need to learn to appreciate the way you talk. You need to learn to appreciate the way you walk, the way you preach. The way you do your things are so unique to you. There are times that people would ask me, oh, pastor, you know, how did I do? I said, just be yourself. That's the best you can be, yourself. A lot of us are not ourselves. That's why you realize that we're uncomfortable. We don't carry ourselves the way God Almighty carries us. You realize that the reason why God gave us, gave us this Bible is to show you different people. You realize that all the people that God chose, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, they were all different people. There were some that came crying. There were some that were very emotional. There were some that came fiercely. They were ready to kill anybody. They, you know, all kinds of people that God used. All kinds of people. And they had strengths. And they had weaknesses. And they had, you know, like the psalmist. David was a very unusual man. Very, very unusual man. He was a man that was completely honest. And that's why God says, I love him. I love David. David was just a very honest man. When he was mad, you would know. You read it in the Psalms. When he was mad, he would say, God, kill all my enemies. In fact, not only kill them, make sure there's no generation left. completely honest. The prophet came to him one day and he gave him a story about a man. Prophet Nathan gave him a, a story about a man, a rich man that cheated a poor man and got his, you know, just one goat that the poor man had. And David stood up. The Bible says he was fiercely angry. And he says, I'm going to kill the man that did this. And listen to this. And then he will repay four times. So I was thinking, well, after you've killed him, how can he repay four times? But that was how mad he was. I mean, how can you demand repayment from a man that you've already killed? But that was how angry he was. But as soon as the prophet said, you are the man, oh, he said, God, have mercy. <laughs> He said, in sin was I conceived, <laughs> and iniquity did my mother give back to me. Completely honest. So God said, I love him. So the Bible is given to you to show you that God Almighty uses all kinds of people. All kinds of people that God uses. And he designed you with your temperament and with your abilities and with your uniqueness, because the areas of life he wants to use you in, you are the one that is most suited for that area of life. So my job this morning is to encourage you that rather than looking outward, you need to look inward. Because 
inside of you is all that God Almighty has deposited for you to live a successful life. The Bible says he has already given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. If you fail, it will not be because God did not give you what you need to succeed. It will be because you neglected what you need to succeed and then you went after what you did not need to succeed. So all that you need, it's in you. So I wake up and I tell my daughter and I tell my wife, wonderful people. Without your makeup, you're nice, you're wonderful. And I'm not trying to, I, that is the honest truth. That is his truth. So I tell my daughter, I said, you know, either my wife has not had a bath, she has had a bath, she has done her makeup, she hasn't done her makeup. I love her. So you need to believe in yourself. Say to your neighbor, believe in yourself. Say it one more time. Believe in yourself. One more time. Say to your neighbor, believe in yourself. <laughs> Verse 16. The next thing you have to understand is that what God has put inside of you is bigger than you. I said what God has put inside of you is bigger than you. It's bigger than you. Look at what he said. He said, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before you go here, God already decided what you're going to do with this life. From the first day you go here till the last day that you go back to him, God has a record in heaven of what he wants you to do. Now that is very significant because when you get to the office, you get something that is called a job description. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You have a job description. What does that say to you? This is what we expect you to do. If you get there and say, well, no, I don't want to follow this job description. I'm just going to do whatever I like to do every day. What do you think is going to happen to you? Do you think you will survive a week there? No. I want to come whenever I want to come, do whatever I want to do, and go whenever I want to go. Take my breaks whenever. Do you think you are going to survive in that establishment? Never. So there's a job description that tells you how much we're going to pay you. A job description that tells you exactly what you are supposed to do, when you're going to take your break, and all the other things that is expected of you in that organization. Well, guess what? The same thing with your life with God Almighty. He has a job description for you. There is something he wrote down concerning your life that he wants you to fulfill while you're here on earth. You are not just here waking up and thinking about it. No, you need to discover it. So when you live here today, if you don't know, you need to go to the Lord and ask him a simple question. Lord, I want to know exactly why I am here. I want to know exactly what you want me to do with this life that you're giving unto me. Because you realize that if you don't know why you're here, then guess what? The devil has another alternate plan for every one of us. And that plan is called money. Say money. Yeah. That's the plan. That's the plan that he has for every one of us. So you discover that people are doing things, they are going to places 
all because of money. I remember I was listening to Kenneth Hagin one day, and a man came to him, um, senior, a man came to him and he says to him, Pastor, I'm relocating, I want you to pray for me. And then he asked the man, he said, is there a church where you are going? The man said, well, this was in the 40s. The man said, well, they're going to pay me $50 extra. He said, $50 extra. He said, but what about your church? Uh, he said, he hasn't checked yet. And can I take it, say, he knew that there was no living church where the man was going. But he was going to leave a place of spiritual fulfillment for $50, take the whole of his family to a place where he was going to be malnourished spiritually. So you discover that when people make their choices of what they do, where they go, how do they make those choices? Money. Most times you realize that when somebody gets a job, it's like, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I just got a job with um, uh, KPMG and I'm going. But you don't know where you're going. Many years back, you know, <laughs> I applied, while I was in school, I applied for a job in an oil company. And the oil company pays really well. The name of the company is Slum BJ. And the interesting thing they do is like, I had a friend that had already gotten into the company as an engineer. And he hardly spent his money. Because the company will take care of your accommodation, give you a car, and feed you. And they still pay you a salary. A starting salary then, that was in the 90s, of about 5,000 pounds a month. So I went for the interview. I did the first stage of the interview. Did the second stage of the interview. And then my wife asked me. I just got married. My wife asked me. She said, this job, tell me a little bit about the job. I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's really nice engineering. You're going to be on the oil. You're going to be on the oil rig for three months. And then you have one month off. And then you go back for another three months. And then you have one month off. And so she said to me, so that means in three months you're not going to be in church. Oh, yeah, that's not a problem. I'll be reading my Bible. And then they've got internet. I will do streaming church <laughs> on the oil platform. She said, in three months. And then you come back for a month. And then one of my friends that got in a year before me, a year before then, visited my wife and said... You know, this is the first time I've been in church in four months. <laughs> and when I'm even on the oil rig, I can't even read my Bible. No time. They're walking you 18 hours. So the only time you have is to sleep. And then for a lot of those people that are there, obviously it's on the oil shore. So guess what they do before, before, they, before they take you on the boat there? They go and pick up girls, ladies to service all, the, all those guys on, for that three months. So she said to me, you can't take that job. I said, sweetheart, we just started life. We need the money. <laughs> we, we need the money. So I did the interview, passed the interview. And I kept waiting for my letter, and the letter never came. And guess what? When I decided to call the company to find out what's going on with my employment letter, the price of oil had dipped. They put the employment on hold. 
But as soon as I dropped the phone, the Lord just said to me, well, your wife has been praying. So I called her. So I called her. I said, have you been praying about this? She said, of course. <laughs> of course. If you are not led by God, you are going to be led by money. And guess what? Money is a God. That's why God himself said you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the God of money. You can't do that. So people that want to be successful, you realize that your husband wants to take a job. He, you know, you, you have a life to live here to fulfill the purpose of God. When money becomes the central focus, you are going to lose out in life. Because you can't do that. You can't serve God and serve money. You can't be led by money. You can't decide to just say, well, you know, there's a job in Dubai, and they're going to pay me a lot of money, so I'm gone. Pastor, please pray for me. Is God sending you there or not? Why are you doing what you are doing? So you realize that when there's no money in something, this world is not interested. Haven't you noticed? When there's no money, there's no interest. And God is looking for people who are not going to be motivated by money. They're not going to be motivated by money. Eventually, I got into the oil industry, but I got into another company. But this other company, too, I was traveling. Now I was living in Nigeria. And I found 29, and the company decided that, well, it looks as if we prefer you over your boss. So they skipped my boss and put me on the board of the company in Nigeria. And then I got home one day, and my wife said to me, I think, I think life has just begun. Because when you're on the board of an oil company, I guess life has just begun. Now you can do all kinds of things and travel to all kinds of places. Now I got home, and my wife said, the Lord said to me that we should go on mission. I looked at her, I, see, I felt like saying, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> because I'm like, what is, what is this you are talking about? Go where? <laughs> That's how I really felt. I was thinking, to leave this job, do you know how long it took me to get here? Do you know how much they are paying? Do you know the future and the things that they promised me that I'm looking to, towards? And so she left me alone. She said, that, that's how I felt. And from that day, for the next six months, I just began to struggle spiritually. I just began to struggle. Yeah, I was still going to work. They will give, I mean, and in the company, it's their, their headquarters in, in, um, in France. But every single week, they go through millions, millions in all kinds of expenses. But I just felt within me that even though I was in the midst of what looked like success, on the inside of me, I knew I was trading that for obedience to God Almighty. Because you can't serve God. You can't serve this God and serve mammon. You simply can't. God will force you to choose. You would have to choose one day. Who your God is, you would have to choose. God will bring you to a point where money will be here and God will be here and you would have to choose. Then I couldn't hear God again as I used to. 
I was still coming to church. In fact, you know, I will fly in on, you know, sometimes I will fly in on a Tuesday, go to church, and then fly out on a Wednesday, fly back in on, on a Friday or Saturday, come to church on Sunday, and then fly out again on, on uh, they, they allowed me to do that at work. But I knew that my time was up in that place. But I kept thinking, how am I going to, how am I going to um, take care of my home? How am I going to take care of my wife? How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to take care of this? I need this money. I need this job. Six months <laughs> going, I got to a point where I'm trying to talk to God and I, I'm hearing absolutely nothing. The only thing I could hear from him was, you're done. I, I need you somewhere else. And I kept thinking, but God, how am I going to take care of all these things that I need in that place? So I went and visited that country. The country is Gambia. They've got about 90-something percent Muslim population. So I went and visited the country. And I got there and I said, Lord, I can't live here. <laughs> they don't even have, there's no university, there's no TV station. I mean, everything looked so backwards. I said, Lord, I don't want to live in a place like this. Remember, there's a script that is written before you got here. I got to that point in my life where the script said you are needed in Gambia. The God Almighty that keeps you. The one that wakes you up every morning. The one that sustains you. The one that gives you the air that you breathe. Says, I need you in Gambia. But money said, I need you in the oil industry. <laughs> and some of us are there now. Some of us are there. We know within our heart there are dreams, there are things that God has placed in our heart. But money would not let us do it. Because we feel, how am I going to be able to fulfill the things of God if I follow what God has put in my heart? So I got to the office after six months and I said to the director, I need to be resigned, I need to go. Oh, what's the problem? You don't like Nigeria? Oh, you know, not, not a problem. Um, give us six months, we'll transfer you there in 200 and something countries. We'll transfer you to another country if you don't like Nigeria. And I stood there, I was like, Lord, what a temptation. <laughs> so I said, no, that, that is not the problem. The company is really, they've been really good to me, but I need to go. The one that owns me needs me somewhere else. So I need to go. I had another, another, <laughs> I had another engineer, um, a lady, that I told her my conversation with the director, how they were willing to take me to another country or do things for me if I was not satisfied, if that was why I was living. And before the end of that week, she also went to the director and said, I'm not also satisfied with the way you are treating me in this company. So the director said, okay, um, could you write out things you are not satisfied about? She said, sure, she, my colleague, I mean, we're on the same level. So she went ahead to her office and wrote out all the things that she wanted them to do based on her discussion with me. Since she, I told her that this was what they offered me, she said, oh, they offered you that? Okay. So she went ahead and wrote all the things that she wanted. And the director said, yeah, write it down and, you know, give it to me. Gave it to the director, they gave it to the MD. Before the end of that week, they fired her. Fire that. 
So I went to Gambia. But let me tell you something. Heaven opened up again. And I began to realize that the things that I was working for, now I can just ask God, God, you know, you brought me. You know, I won't be here by myself. No way. I, but now that I'm here, you are now responsible for me. Completely responsible for me, responsible for my children, responsible for the whole of my life. And that's where God likes it. That's how he likes it. How many of you want to get married to a lady? And then you get married to the lady. And then she's on WhatsApp. And you say, who are you talking to? Oh, my ex, my ex. I, I want to find out, um, you know, if I can get some money for lunch. <laughs> Excuse me. How many of you like that? You are like, what, are you, what did you say? No, I'm just, I just want to find out if my ex can give me some money for lunch. You can't do that. But the same thing with God Almighty. Is more than enough to take care of you. Do you hear what I said, church? It's more than enough to take care of you. So I got there and I realized, ha, now I really have to depend on him completely. And now to find out from him. And I will say to him, God, well, we need we need this today. We need that tomorrow. God, this is what I need. Well, you are the one that brought me here. So you are responsible for me. Oh, and I'll tell you one, just one of the testimonies of things that happened to me when I was in Gambia. We were there for three years. And one day my wife came and she said, you know, I'm thinking of going to grad school. I said, well, you know, God is not responsible for me. He, he was the one that said we should come here. He's completely responsible. So I said, what school do you want to go? I said, no, you know what we'll do? We are going to choose the most expensive school. Even the one that was not expensive, we could not afford. But now he is responsible. We can choose the most expensive school. And that was what we did. So we chose Harvard. We, uh, and I went and visited my aunt. My aunt said, how much do you have in your account? But she did. She went there and she graduated. I'm saying to you that, church, you're trying to take care of yourself. You're trying to fend for yourself. You're trying to provide for yourself. The word is saying you need to put your insurance money. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to put this together. You need to put that together. You need to put this together. Let me tell you what they are trying to do. They are trying to make God. They are trying to make God irrelevant in all of our lives and trying to replace it with money. I'm a pastor in the Redeemed Christian Church of God. And the general overseer um, the, of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, when the Lord called him, he has a PhD in mathematics. He was a lecturer in the university, living in a duplex. And so when the Lord called him, he left that job, listen to this, and then he took his pension and used his pension to buy, to, and gave his pension to the church. So not only did he give himself to the church, he also gave his pension to the church. And then one day he was praying in 1979. And he said, well, Lord, because he moved from the university building, he moved to a one-bedroom apartment. That was what the church could afford in 1979. And said, he said, one day he now asked the Lord, he said, Lord, <laughs> Um, my, my, 
my kids and my, my family are coming. I, I need another room, at least one other room for them. You know? And the Lord said to him, I'm not going to give you another house. I'm going to give you a whole city. That was in 1979. I'll give you a whole city. Now listen, where he lives right now, where he lives, when we have an annual convention, they host about 10 million people. Where he lives. About, it holds about 10 million people conveniently on the site. And they overflow all to so many other places. A whole city where people live. I mean, you can go, you can check it and you'll see all the designs and everything on the internet. But that is God Almighty. But you have to give your all to him. Did you hear what I'm saying, church? If you're going to be successful, you can't do half and half. You have to give the whole of yourself to him. You have to say, Lord, I'm all yours for the rest of my life. And then he can take every part of you and do what only he can do with your life. Praise the Lord. So, if you're going to be successful in this walk of faith with God, you must understand that there is an assignment for you. God has an assignment for you. There are two kinds of people that you have in this world. There are those who want to get things done, and there are those who don't want to make mistakes. There are those who are fearful of exploring new things. There are those people that are just so scared of what people will say about them. If you're here today and you're like that, the Lord God Almighty, as we pray today, will deliver you from that. Because the Bible says that the fear of men bring get a snare. You are, you are discovering that God has put things inside of you. God has put the ability for you to sing or something inside of you. But then people start making fun of you. You stop. You are like, oh, what would they say about me? What would they not say about you? What would they say about you that they've not said about Jesus? Remember, over the weekend, I said to us that when Jesus got into his own country and he began to teach in the synagogues, the first thing they said to him is, who is this man? They did not even say, who is Jesus? They said, who is this man? And they said, is he not the son of the carpenter? Don't we know his brothers and his sisters? In other words, what right has he got to be teaching us? So people are going to look down on you. People are going to dismiss you. People are going to say, where are you coming from? What do you think you are? But you need to understand that the people that will make it successfully are people that will not look to people for validation. You are not looking for people to clap. You are not looking for people to applaud. You are not looking for people to say, job well done. You are not looking for people to tell you anything. Why? Because you are serving, your life is given to your heavenly father, and you are concerned with doing his will. Do you know I've been to places to preach that I was convinced they would not call me back again? Do you know why? Because I'm not there to please the pastor or to please anybody. And if they don't want to call me back, well, it's between them and God Almighty. But I'm not a businessman. <laughs> so I don't have the mark there where I need to be careful what I say so that they can call me back next year. No, no, no. And I tell people, I said, if you call me and the Lord has not told you to call me, then you, you are going to have some trouble. But you need to understand that there is a God that is watching over your life. 
He cares a lot about you, more than you care about yourself. The Bible says, when we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die for our sins. How much more now that we have belonged to him? So you need to understand that a lot of things we are afraid of. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of this. You know, one of the things I've discovered is that the devil would always replace one fear with another fear with another fear. So when people are saying, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? Don't you know you are 32? When are you going to get married? Guess what? If you yield to that and you get married, they will leave you for another three months. When are you going to have the baby? When are you going to have the baby? When are you going to have the baby? You know? And then you say, okay, let's have a baby. Oh, you need a car. You know, you can't be walking around with the baby. You need a car. And then your house is not good enough. You know, you need to exchange. You need to move your house. So if you've noticed, they will, people will never let you be. Every time you have, oh, you need to get a job. You need to get a job. And then you get a job. You say, have you gotten a job? Oh, yeah, I have a job. Good. So you need to start saving. You need to start saving. You need to buy this. You need to, there is always something else that people are aiming for you to do. So you need to be comfortable where you are. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, you need to be comfortable where you are. Because you need thanksgiving for you to be successful in life. You need to have a heart of thanksgiving for you to be successful in life. Sometimes all that God hears is our complaint. For the last 25 years, you've been replacing one complaint for another complaint. You need to have a heart of thanksgiving. You need to be able to say, Lord, I give you praise. You need to be able to say, Lord, I worship you. I thank you that I'm alive, that I can walk, that I can see, that I live in a house. Oh, you need to be grateful to God. If you become thankful to, for the things that God has given unto you, guess what? You position yourself for many more things he's going to do in your life. If you are going to be successful, you need to learn how to be very thankful to God. How to be very grateful for him. Grateful for your parents. Grateful. You know, I, I was sharing with Pastor when he picked me up at the airport. <laughs> Monday, my wife. My wife is a pediatrician. And one day she got to the office. And there was this lady that was delivering a baby. And that was her 19th. 18th or 19th, I'm not too sure. It, uh, about 19th baby that she was delivering. She was 20-something years old. And the baby came out. She, the, the baby was given to her. The baby came out with, filled up with cocaine. So the baby was shaking badly. Badly. And you know when she began to tell me the story, she said the bath you know, what really got to her that day is that to stabilize the baby, they had to give the baby more cocaine. Yeah. You, you give the baby more drugs, yeah, to stabilize the baby. And then you now withdraw the drugs little by little. The social workers were already waiting to get the baby. The girl was like, just clean me up and let me go. Yeah. That was a 19th trip to the place. 19th. So that baby is starting life without the love of a father and a mother. 
There's so many things you need to be grateful to God for. There's so many things you need to be grateful. I was, the other day I was watching a documentary and they interviewed a little girl. She's about six years old. For the last three years, she had not been to school. She's in Syria camp. Not been to school. You go and you sleep. You are now expecting a bomb in the night. You wake up and uh, don't mind those stories. Don't mind those politicians. Look at my potholes in my road. Your potholes? Potholes? You are complaining about portals. Do you know how many people will trade in a heartbeat your position for theirs? You need to have a heart of thanksgiving. You need to have a heart of thanksgiving. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Let's go there. You must have a heart of thanksgiving. You must learn to thank God for the things he has given to you. You must learn to say to him, Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Look at the Bible says, he said, do not complain. Say, do not complain. complain. There are some wives that you don't know that there are so many people that would have your husband any day. I'm serious. And yet you complain. There are people that don't even have one, and you complain. He said, do not complain. In other words, don't do this, as some of them also complained. And what happened to them? They were destroyed by the destroyer. Do you know there are a lot of things that we've allowed the destroyer to destroy because of complaint? Because of complaint. Because of complaint. One day in church, a lady came to give a testimony and will never forget for the rest of my life. Never. She came with a man. <laughs> and she said, listen to this. They are married for some while and they, and they had two kids. And then the man left home. Went with other women, just left home completely. And the woman said, well, guess what? I have a covenant not just with this man, but I have a covenant with this man and with God Almighty. The Bible says a threefold cord cannot be broken. So when you get married, you don't have a covenant just with the man alone. You have a covenant with the man and with God Almighty. So if one person leaves that covenant, there's still two of you. And the Bible says if two of you would agree, concerning anything, it shall be done by your Father in heaven. So when two are still remaining, there's still hope. So she decided, she said, I am not going to give up on this marriage. I am not giving up. My children are not going to be without the father. And the man, I'm not more interested, disappeared for two years. But she would not allow anybody. Anytime somebody came, I wanted to talk to her about the husband. Said, it's fine. Oh, yeah, I know, uh, in Jesus' name. You know, sometimes as believers, we have a lot of this religious talk. It is well. God bless you. Uh, no, he said, no, 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 no. I know that he's coming back. Amen. Don't try to comfort me like that. I know that I know that he's coming back. I'm not losing him. Hey, do you know what he's doing now? I, I don't care. I don't mind. He's coming back. For two years, he was out. And she, she was the one giving this testimony. She would not allow anybody to say anything bad about the man. This was a man that was not treating her right. 
But she understood something. She understood the power of the covenant. So she said, no, somebody will come ahead. We saw, don't tell me about where you saw him. Don't tell me, I don't want to hear. Oh, you are living in denial. Maybe you need some psychological help. No, I don't. <laughs> For two years. And then one day, the man said one day, she pick, he picked up a lady on the road for the night, as it was his custom. And in the morning, the lady said, well, by the way, the name you told me yesterday, that's not your name. This is your real name. And you have a wife. These are the names of your kids. And the only reason why you are not dead is because your wife will not allow us to kill you. Then she, he came back to his senses. Went back home to the wife. Thanksgiving. He said, do not complain. Do you know that when you begin to complain, that's the enemy that's about to steal that thing from you. Don't complain about that car. Say, Lord, I thank you for this car. I thank you for this house. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my children. I thank you for my job. Oh, pastor, I hate my job. Well, that's why you are still there. So begin to thank God for that job. And then you will put yourself in a path for promotion. Amen. But you see, when you begin to say, oh, yeah, you know, oh, boy, this train, they are late again. You need to learn how to thank God for what you have. That is what opens you up for promotion, for the next thing. If you are not grateful to God, Joshua and Caleb, they say we can go in. They say the Lord is with us. Those giants, they are bread for us. The Lord would help us. They were filled with thanksgiving. And those two people, they got into the promised land. By the time they got there, Caleb was 80 years old. Joshua looked at him and said, Caleb, I know that you wanted the mountains, but now you are old. You are 80 years old. Let's give you something else because you can't take the mountains. He said, look, as my strength was when I was 40 years old, so my strength is now. Give me the mountain. Thanksgiving. Thank God for what you have. Thank God for everything around you. <laughs> you say, Pastor, what am I saying? You don't know what I'm going through. Oh, yeah. I don't know what you're going through. But you have to learn to give God praise. I said you have to learn to give God praise. Not the praise that is coming out of your emotions. Everyone can do that. You can give God praise when everything is working well. Give God praise when you just pass your exams. But he said, giving thanks in all situations. Not giving thanks for every situation, but giving thanks in all situations. In other words, in any situation you find yourself, you just give God praise. Because praise is a weapon of warfare. And in heaven, that is why praise is going on in heaven. Every single second, all the angels, they are doing what? They are praising God. Why? Because it brings the power of God. Complain brings the destroyer. It brings the destroyer. But praise brings the power of God. And for those who were here yesterday, I told, I told you that my firstborn, my first son, is in heaven. And I was in the hospital when he passed away. And I got home. And the Lord said to me, well, guess what? You can decide what to do right now. You can go to bed and then wake up and start crying and grieving and complaining. And everybody would understand. And then you go through the service. And then you do go through. And then you go to the burial ground. And you cry the more. 
And then every year you go back there again, and then you cry again. And then the, the devil will tell you, but, but you're serving God. You see what he has done to you now. What's the purpose now? Or the Lord said to me, or oh, you can decide to praise me. Say praise me. Praise me. You can decide to praise me. And if you do that, I will give you extraordinary children. And I said yesterday that it, it was 10 years. My daughter was already 10 years old and I was ministering. That was when she realized she was not the firstborn. Because you are not nobody. I mean, people that know us, you won't find it in our house. You won't find the spirit of grief or sorrow in, around me. Because whatever the enemy is trying to do in your life, God is more than able to take it if you praise him deliberately and bring back beauty out of ashes. That is why he is God Almighty. Whatever is dead is able to bring it alive again. He's able to bring your life back from destruction. Don't you see how many times that Jesus was going one day... <laughs> And a woman touched him at the hem of his garment, and Jesus stopped to attend to the lady that had the issue of blood. And then when he was about to continue his journey, they said, don't bother the master again. The, the, child, the, the child is dead. And Jesus said, only believe. Only what? Only believe. By the time he got to the house, there were people that were mocking. You know what Jesus did? He put them out. He brought the parents and the disciples and held the daughters and, his, and commanded the spirit of death to leave that child. You are dealing with a God that has the keys. You are dealing with a God Almighty that created all things by the word of his mouth. You are dealing with a God Almighty that when he speaks, everything he says comes to pass. You are dealing with a God that even the devil knows that his days are numbered. Every time Jesus showed up, the demons would say, have you come to torment us before our time? I tell people that one of the things the devil does not like because it makes him to go into ineffective operation is praise. So when you're praising God, that obviously is a weapon against him that he has no answers to. That is why he does everything possible to bring complaint. Everything possible. So that situation in your life is going to change. You know how it's going to change? You are going to deploy the power of praise. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, yeah, how was church today? Oh, we had praise and worship. No. It's you, personally, every day of your life, just deploying praise. You praise God for your child. You praise God for your husband. You praise God for your job. You praise God for your government. The, you know, why we're having all kinds of problems is that when God says, pray for those who are in authority and pray for them. No, we don't pray for them. We complain about them. Do you see what Cameron just did again? What's even wrong with him? What's he thinking about? And that's why we are not successful. For those who are going to be successful, you need to learn how to praise God. I said you need to learn how to praise God. My wife one day, and I'm just ending up and we're going to pray. <laughs> she told the professor that um, I would like to be a lecturer. I would like, you know, I would like to teach. I would like to be a professor in college. And the professor said to her, not with your accent, that the best you can do as an immigrant is just go and write your exams and treat patients. So she told me, 
Now you can begin to get angry and say, oh yeah, they are racist. They are, they are because of this, because of that. But guess what? That is not going to get you where you need to go. That's just the enemy telling you, I'm going to stop you. Now, the only way you are going to ensure that it does not stop you is by you aligning with God Almighty. So I said to her, well, you know what? Just what I've been teaching you, if that has been written before I heard, God Almighty, the Bible says, is the one that opened a door that no man can shut. And when he shut a door, no man can open it. So if that's what the Lord has put in your heart, guess what? In this land, you are going to get to do that. We could have gone after the professor and says, yes, let's go and write a petition. Let's report him. He's being racist. He's, he's minimizing the potentials inside of you. But the petitions are not what God is asking us to do. And many years down the line, when she applied to be a professor in a college, in a medical school, she went for the interview. And for a whole year, the results did not come out. And she was wondering, what? They didn't say yes or no. And she was wondering, what is going on with these people? Why would they not give me? At least let them say yes or no so I can move on. And she felt like calling them to find out what was going on. And one of the days, the Lord said to me, tell her to stop worrying because what she's going to get is not what she applied for. That she's going to get something that is better than what she applied for. But how do you get there? You just thank him. So I just said to her, just thank God. Just give him praise. Just wake up any day you remember. Just give him praise. Just say, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for whatever they are doing. You are working with them. And so over a year after, she got a call back from the dean of the medical school saying to her, do you mind if you, can you come back in? Or do you want me to drive up to meet you? And she said, no, I can come back. Went over to the, um, to the medical school, got into the dean's office, and dean said, we know what we, you applied for, that you did apply to be a professor of pediatrics at the college. She said, yeah. He said, but we have been having some problems. Because we already had interviewed somebody for the head of the department of pediatrics. And then when you came and we saw your CV and we saw how you performed that interview, we all got out and we thought, this is funny. But we really should make this girl the head of the department and not this person we've employed. So guess what? They reversed the the interview stuff and offered her the headship of the Department of Pediatrics. And the person that was interviewed for the headship, they said, well, if you still want a job here, you, you can be a professor under this person. So the person works for her now, and she's the head of the Department of Pediatrics at that school. You can't lose out with God. Did you hear what I'm saying? You cannot lose out with God. So those dreams inside of you, you're going to learn how to give thanks. Do you hear what I said? You're going to learn how to give thanks. Oh, say enough of complaining. Hey, hey, you are going to learn how to give God thanks. They put at the back of the bus, give thanks. You know, you are on a long line, give thanks. You, you, you get to a place and they say, wait again, give thanks. They increase your taxes, you say, give thanks. You understand what I'm saying? You wake up and it's too cold, give thanks. You wake up, it's too hot, give thanks. Your heat has stopped, break, breaks down, and it's not working that day. Say, Lord, I give you thanks. You say, but pastor, does that make sense? No, it does not make sense. But he makes faith. Because when you learn to give thanks, the ability of God deployed on your behalf would increase. Let's bow down our heads. Go and learn to give God thanks. 
Give God thanks. Oh, give him thanks. Give him thanks. You are not here by an accident. I say you are not here by an accident. Oh, give him thanks. Give him thanks. Thank God for your friends. Thank God for your work. Thank God for the time that you have. Oh, I don't have enough time. Well, thank God for the time that you have. Thank God. Those people who are in ICU, those who are in, who, who are in admission, they are bound. They can't go anywhere. You can walk around. Oh, Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks. Let God hear your voice. Let him hear your voice. Let God hear your voice giving him thanks. Oh, let God hear your voice giving him thanks. Don't look around. Don't look around. Just let God hear your voice giving him thanks. Oh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I am so grateful. Thank you for my parents. Thank you for Ghana. Thank you for Africa. Thank you, oh God, for my school. Thank you, oh God. Oh, give him thanks. Thank God for my accent. Lord, I give you praise. I thank you, Lord. I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for all the friends you're giving to me. Thank you, oh God. Come on, don't be tired, church. Don't be tired. Give him praise. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Give him thanks. Oh, give him thanks. Oh, he said, Pastor, I don't have enough money. Give him thanks for the money you have. <laughs> oh, give him thanks. Jehovah, we are not complainers. We are thanksgivers. We are thanksgivers. We give you thanks, oh God, that we can gather in a place like this. And we can gather in peace. We can have church. <laughs> there are countries that they cannot have church. We give you thanks. Thank you for listening. Join us for our weekly Sunday service at 10.30 a.m. at 336 Brixton Road. We hope you were blessed.